Hello, everybody. We are really excited today to have fellow podcaster Rebecca Walzer on today. Rebecca um, is the founder of the Crashes and Taxes podcast, and she could also be found at walzerwealth.com. And by the way, also make sure to check out our website, theweeklywealthpodcast.com. And I hope you enjoy this episode. This is the Weekly Wealth Podcast with certified financial planner, David Chudik where we discuss the wealth building mindsets and tactics that can help you to build and maintain wealth for you, your family, and your business. Okay, everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the Weekly Wealth Podcast. We are super excited to have the host of the really popular podcast, uh, Crashes and Taxes. Uh, Rebecca Walser is uh, with us today, and she is a big, big, big time financial advisor, and we're excited to have her on. So, uh, hey, Rebecca, tell us a little bit about yourself and your professional background and maybe something about yourself personally. Okay, awesome, David. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Um, So that's all a big topic, uh, my background, but I'll just basically break it down that I was in finance for um, about over 10 years before I went to law school and became an attorney, a tax lawyer. So I am a tax lawyer and I came out of law school. I worked for PricewaterhouseCoopers, AT&T in financial capacity before I became a lawyer worked in tax law for a while and then opened my own practice about six years ago, uh, wrote a book, which you can see behind me, and um, basically have just been uh, pushing the message out of what's coming in America because we're so ill-prepared. So I am a certified financial planner. I have a wealth management practice, Walser Wealth, and then um, I am a tax lawyer on top of that. So yes, that's my background. Now, I can see the book back there, but what is the title? I, uh, I see it's called Wealth, Wealth Unbroken. It's available everywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, Walmart, Target. Yeah, Wealth Unbroken. Perfect, perfect. So 2020, it's been a crazy year. Um, the markets have been at 30,000, and they've been much lower than they've been higher. They've been lower, and we've had unemployment. We've had COVID. We've had all kinds of crazy, crazy things. So, so from your point of view, I mean, what is the state of the U.S. economy right now? I think that we don't really know where we are. I think that we don't have a sense of direction and I don't think that we have a sense of where we're headed. And I think that's the reason that it's so volatile and chaotic. You know, um, uncertainty breeds volatility. That's just the fact. And so when you have a certain amount of uncertainty about is there going to be a second wave? Are businesses going to fully reopen? Are people going to be bold enough to go back out and, you know, go to the movie theaters, go to the games, go to the bars, go to in fully pack a restaurant. Um, When you have all this uncertainty, it breeds volatility. And that's what's been happening. Um, And and so when we get, like I've been saying since the beginning, really, David, when we get a handle on the fact that we can go out, but, and I think we're really close to this, by the way, uh, we can go out and we will not die, right? Because still so many people, I'm actually sort of puzzled by it, but so many people are still so, so, so afraid of what's going on with the virus that they're they're still not really kind of rejoining society which um so that so that's a that's a that's a challenge we've got to get those people to feel comfortable enough to rejoin society because until we do we're a 70 percent consumer-based economy and until we get the consumers back out consuming um we're going to have volatility we're going to have uncertainty absolutely and you know one of the things with the COVID is that it's affected people 
financially so much differently. So there have been people that are just, you know, regular people that have gotten laid off and now they're getting unemployment plus $600 a week, which is, and they couldn't go anywhere for a while and there's nothing to spend money on. So that was a pay raise. Um, right. And then there are, you know, let's say you own Rebecca's hamburger joints and you worked really, really hard for years and years and just making a regular hard work and living. And now you might be bankrupt. So yeah. it, it's really been different on different types of people in different industries. And um, I know one thing that I just, uh, I think the commercial real estate office industry is going to be changed forever. Cause I think big companies are going to say, you know what, these thousand units that's costing us million of dollars per year, our employees can work from a laptop at home and be just as efficient. So I think that's one area. Do you have any other Absolutely. areas that you think just, you know, generally may be harmed irreparably or be helped um, significantly? Yeah, I mean, I hate to say this because I definitely don't want this industry to be harmed, but I do think our airline industry specifically is uh, another one. And also, um, not, not necessarily the, the people don't understand when you're talking about the hotel industry, you know, so much of hotel business is business, business, corporate business. And so when you've got people that are deciding, you know what, let's not skip, let's skip the seminar, let's skip the workshop, let's skip the actual in-person meeting and let's just do a, a webcast or a webinar, um, a virtual meeting as Zoom, whatever people are using these days, um, that is, people are knocking on those planes and they're not going to those meetings and those hotels are not being used. And that's a huge problem too. So I agree with you, uh, commercial real estate and a re kind of calibrating of how the, you know, worker works and where they work from, even if it's not every single day, but also right along with that, David, is the business travel, getting on the airlines, you know, traveling all around and not necessarily doing those meetings anymore. And that's, that you know, right now it's still too new and we're still not in the phase of, okay, it's not, it's a change of behavior. It's still right now because of the virus, but once the virus has died down and you see that things aren't recovering, then we'll know it's a change of behavior and that's going to be a problem. So if you think about just a few years ago, if you wanted to have me as a guest on crashes and taxes, we would have, there would have been travel involved. There would have been now you, know, you and I, we're, we're almost like we're in the same room with technology. It's basically free and it works really, really well. So uh, it is crazy. And I, I do have this theory that if, if Zoom and GoToMeeting and everything didn't exist, I don't think any of the shutdown would have happened because it wouldn't have been an option. Ooh. You know, interesting. I mean, Very yeah, interesting. Yeah. Okay. 10 years ago, this technology didn't exist. Five years ago, really. It's true. So yeah. who knows? Who knows? Wow. Yeah. Well, let's talk taxes and let's talk, um, you know, everybody, everybody loves paying as many, as much taxes as they can. Have. I mean, that's just uh, what we that's all right. like uh, doing. So um, a lot of, a lot of people are saying, well, you know, I, I need to get some deductions up front and, and I need, you know, pre-tax is, is so important. Is, is pre-tax the, the best strategy for, for investments? You know, I will tell you, and this this is a, a national crisis, but I, I could just do this. I could just make my living off of just going around the country and telling people what's coming and that they're not prepared for it. So we have become addicted since 1981 to building wealth in America pre-tax. Everything is, you'll hear even conventional wisdom to this day, maximize your 401k, tax defer, tax defer, tax defer. And the conventional wisdom which was born in 1981, that's really when this got its start, was, hey, don't pay the tax while you're in your high peak earning years. Save up, save up the retirement, but save it pre-tax. And then when you retire, you'll be making less, so you'll be brought down to a lower bracket. 
So that and makes eight, total sense. How is that not right? Well, because in 1981, our top, you know, not passive, but active earnings rate was 50%. So, and the passive earnings rate was 70%. So we had really high taxes in 1981 and people were trying to discover ways to avoid them and defer them and delay them. And it made sense. But if you fast forward five years to 1986, Form of 86 cut the top rate from 50 and 70 to 28. So we cut down like this, and that's a top rate. So you're not talking about everybody who you know had that rate. And yet, when we got you know that huge tax cut, did anybody go back and say, Wait, does this make sense now? Should I defer paying tax when maybe my effective tax would be 22 percent or less? Should I defer and pay that later when I'm retired and I have less ability to pay it? And of course, the answer is, well, it depends on what is happening and what the tax rates are later. But then if you start to add in what's happening later and specifically now in this decade, 2020 to 2030, then the question really answers itself. So, but let's, let's be clear though. Let's say I work for a company and I'm middle management, not getting rich, but I'm certainly not starving to death. And uh, my company offers a 401k with 3% match. So I put 3% of my paycheck in and they'll match 3%. Should I do that? Yes, let me be clear. Um, we always want to take the free match. The free match is free money. And when I say free match, I'm talking about a dollar for dollar match. I'm not talking about you put in a dollar and they put in 50 cents. So if you have a full 100% match up to whatever it is, we encourage that because in order for that to be losing, a losing proposition, the tax would have to be 100% for you to not have made it, you know, made out with a 100% match. So yes, we always encourage the match to the full 100%. Yes. Perfect. Perfect. Now in your line of thinking, I don't know, even know what the final tally of the stimulus was, 50 trillion or 5 trillion or some number we can't even comprehend. But um, that even more solidifies your line of thinking, right? Because taxes are going to have to go up to pay for the stimulus package. Are, are you in agreement with that? You know, it's a lot of people think that the reason I'm so anti-pre-tax is because of the debt and the debt load being so high, you know, in the 24 trillion, now 26 trillion with the $2 trillion of CARES that's already been spent. And the six with CARES, basically, if you add the full package of $6 trillion on top of our federal debt at the time, it would be at 30 trillion. That is a problem. A $30 trillion debt uh, load is, is another whole can of worms that I don't usually talk about. The bigger problem though that is happening is outside the realm of our federal debt and inside the realm of what I call the mass exodus that's occurring between 2020 and 2030. We literally have all of the rest of our boomers will retire in this decade. And that is at least another 50 million people. And specifically, 50 million people are going to retire between 2022 and 2027 in that five to six year period. So when you have that are going to be coming out of the payments where they're right now in the system and paying, they're going to come out and then they're going to rightfully go onto the system itself, Social Security and Medicare. You have a swing of 100 million people that is happening in less than 10 years, something that has never happened before in the history of recorded time. And this 
means we have a mathematical problem that is insurmountable, in fact, mathematically. And uh, you add to that the fact that we just can't debt finance our way out of it because we already will be at $30 trillion of debt and you have a, you know, even a bigger problem. So yeah, this is the decade we've been talking about. You know, um, For decades, we've been talking about the um, kicking the can down the road. This is the decade where all of that is stopping and we have not prepared for what's happening in this decade. Wow, that's uh, that's scary stuff. So, what's the answer? I mean, if if we're and, and I agree, we're on. Uh, you and I are on the same wavelength as far as kind of that that pre-tax, just dumping as much money as you can into that four hundred one k or or things like that. I mean, what is the answer? And is there a different answer of kind of for the average person uh, than 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 the wealthy person? I mean, I think the answer. There's a lot of there's a lot of things that can be done. There, we didn't used to have solutions. We used to only have one real true asset class that was tax-free forever. And a lot of people, you know, didn't really think that that was for them. And it, it certainly is. You can use it no matter if you're making, you know, $18,000 a year or, you know, over several million dollars a year. It's, 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 a, it's an asset class for everybody. But what we do have now is really we also have the Roth. So a lot of people, I've seen an explosion, David, in the last three years of Roth-sponsored 401k plans, and people have them, and they don't even know it. I have everybody that comes to me, and they are doing contributions, are getting a match. I say, can you do this into a Roth 401k? And they, they look at me like, oh, I don't know. I've never even, and it's been in their plan for three years, and they didn't even know it. So the first thing is to investigate, can you do a Roth 401k contribution and still get your match? But if they offer a, a match, to- they will still offer the match. So, so a client though that's thinking, yeah, I know. I mean, I kind of get it that you're telling me there's going to be this bubble, but I'm going to pay more taxes this year if I listen to you. Um, it, how do you get them to kind of see the math and see that yes, there maybe there is more taxes this year, but over time, it's by far, by far the better decision. Well, it, that is a challenge isn't it, David? Because we're so addicted for the last three decades of basically having low taxes that to convince somebody to go ahead and bite the bullet and actually pay the tax and pay even more, pay, you know, go further and do Roth conversions or do other kinds of things that would pay the tax even further. That's hard to, it's hard to convince people. But you just have to look at it as, you know, basically saying, look, if you know you're going to retire and you know you're going to need to buy a house and you could buy the house now on a big sale for 30 or 40% off of what it was going to cost you when you retire, when you can't afford it to be more expensive, when would you buy that house, that retirement house? If you could do it now, would you do it now? And most people say, yeah, I would, I would buy the house at a discount, you know, and then I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't have to pay for it when I retired and I'm on a fixed income. You just have to use relational examples where people say, yes, I buy things on sale all the time. So why not my tax bill? Right. We just don't think of it that way. Right, right. No, that's, that's, that's absolutely true. And it's almost, you know, kind of the equivalent of when the markets are down, people say, well, well you know, I'm not, I'm not getting in the markets now. They're, they're down. Well, depending on what stage of life, when they're down is exactly the time to get in because you're buying something that's on sale. That's right. Uh, you know, a few clients of mine locked in some losses over the last few months and, and they would have been looking, you know, just about back where they were, if not made money, if they would have bought on the, um, on the way down. So you talk about Roth IRA, um, and, and, and I'm a proponent of that. Um, what are some other ways that you can, you know, invest that, that um, the monies and proceeds will, will come out tax-free or with as little tax as possible? 
There's not many, so we don't really have, but two really truly what I would consider tax-free asset classes. You'll hear a lot of advisors that will talk about uh, municipal bonds. You'll see commercials on all the business networks about municipal bonds being tax-free, federally tax-free, blah, blah, blah. Um, the problem with municipal bonds is that they are, are a part of something called your provisional income, and they will count against you when you go to file Social Security and Medicare. They will ratchet up your Medicare. so much in 2008 with their study in 2008. So um, municipal bonds are mentioned a lot, but I would caution people to really look and see the true nature of total taxation beyond just federal taxes. You know, I like to tell people, have you ever wondered, and no one has, of course, why you have to report your tax-free exempt or your tax-exempt interest income on the front page of your tax return if these things are tax-free. And no one, of course, ever stops and contemplates a tax return like a tax lawyer does. But the fact is, uh, it's right on there. It's the very one of the very top things, even with the redesign. It's because it counts against you and it counts against you for your benefits. So you've got muni bonds, you've got the Roth. Um, a lot of people have Roth, misconceptions. There are income limits, correct? I mean, if you make over a certain amount... So yes and no. Um, you are specific, specifically talking there about the Roth IRA. If you make over a specific amount, which is quite high for most Americans, you would be income phased out of the Roth. However, to be clear, there is no income limit on Roth conversions. So if you've already built up a pile of money and it's basically you know, pre-tax either 401k or IRA, if you have a 401k Roth plan, you have to ask your administrator if they will allow you to do a conversion on the platform or you can do a conversion on the IRA side. So you can convert no matter how much you make, could be Warren Buffett or Bill Gates. If you had a traditional pre-tax 401 or IRA and they had the four, they had the equivalent Roth, you could do a conversion no matter, how, no matter how much you made. And you can do that before 59 and a half and you can actually waive all the 10%. There's no 10% penalty on a Roth conversion. It is an exception to the rule. Now, that's not to say that you can take a distribution and pay the tax. That's where you'd still have a penalty. But the converted part itself, if you pay the tax elsewhere, you can do with no penalty before 59 so there, if you have, if you make a lot of people make a lot of money and they think, oh, I can use my Roth 401k because I make too much. That is not true. There is no Roth 401k income limit. The, for, the IRA Roth limit is an IRA limit, not a 401k limit. So they look at the 401k and Roth, they say, I make too much. That's not the case on the work plan. So that so you've got to look at your options. You've got to understand what the tax law code really does say and you've got to leverage it against you. And then the last and final uh, true uh, tax-free asset class from an income tax perspective, you could still have a state tax if you have a big estate, um, is overfunded uh, cash value life insurance. So that's been in our tax code since 1913 and it's um, a phenomenal wealth building, tax-free building tool. So there's a lot of confusion about life insurance and should you buy term invest the difference? Uh, is permanent life insurance a good thing, a bad thing? So I can hear the passion in, in, in your voice. Um, tell me, you know, to the average person, what is overfunded, uh, you know, per, uh, uh, universal life insurance? So there's different versions of permanent life. And without going into that dichotomy of different life insurance designs, what I'll tell you generally is that term life is cheap because term life is designed to never pay you a death claim. Less than 6% of all term life policies written in the United States actually pay out a death claim. They are designed, 6% just represents the few people that 
actually do die prematurely. And it is a good thing to have if you don't have kids, a wife, a spouse, a husband, you know, children that are minors, all those things. It's a good thing to have. But outside of the cost of term, which is very cheap because it's cheap because it's not expecting to pay any benefit. So it's basically renting the insurance just in case. Um, what that doesn't build any cash value. That doesn't give us any tax benefits because we're renting the insurance. Therefore, there is no cash built into your actual account. Overfunded cash value life insurance is basically taking that term policy and putting it into um, a chassis, if you will, or an account that, that will capture and grow wealth. So you pay the cost of the term, but on top of that, you overfund the cost of the term with additional dollars that will go into the account and will compound and be tax-free and the growth will be tax-free. So that's overfunding the cost of what otherwise would just be a term policy. So when you talk about it'll grow in the account, what can I do with the money in the quote account before I die? Can I, can I get to that money before I die? Oh, absolutely. So the account is managed by the insurance company. So there's no self-management. So just FYI on that. A lot of people think, oh, how do I manage this money? No, you're not going to. The insurance company is going to manage it for you. It's kind of a turnkey solution. But yes, there's absolutely access to your cash value while you're alive. Um, and, and so that's definitely a part of it. We wouldn't be overfunding all of this money if our only goal was a death benefit. So the goal here are the living benefits that can be provided and you can actually access the cash without uh, tax reporting and without tax um, consequences. Yeah, yeah. And I think one of the things though with what you're talking about is you need a really good representative that can walk you through this because this can get dangerous if policies lapse and you don't pay enough into it or you yes. take out too much early and then you could mm -hmm. have some really, really ugly tax consequences. So, so you right. need really good guidance and uh, you know, that's where you would come in or that's where I would come in and, yeah. and um, uh, definitely uh, protect, uh, protect your client. So what if, um, I, I love your concepts and, and I'd love to talk about one of these overfunded life plans and I'm 65 and I have cancer. Does, is, am I just kind of out of the, you know, out of the, out of the plan? I mean, if I have, you know, some major health issues, yeah, that's a good question. I get that a lot too, David. Um, so the answer is could be, but the, it could, the answer could also be maybe not. So if you have other individuals that you have what we call an insurable interest in, so potentially your spouse, potentially a child, if you have other uh, people that are part of your family, your immediate family that you have an insurable interest in, even if your health specifically can't qualify, oftentimes we can write the policy on an insurable interest for the act to be the actual person that's insured, but the contract can still be owned by that 65-year-old. So they can still own the asset as the asset class, but the actual insured life would be the person in their family that they have an insurable interest in. And so that's a way to deal with somebody who thinks, oh, I can't do that. I'm, I can't, I'm not insurable. We understand that, that that happens a lot. It's very common. Okay. And that's, you know, one of the things that, you know, a lot of people talk to me about is, you know, I don't need a financial advisor. You know, I, I you know, I watch CNBC. I mean, I, I kind of know this stuff. Well, there are so many tricks of the trade that people wouldn't think about, like, um, you know, putting that policy on, on, on a grandchild, if there's a legitimate reason and, and, and ways around the fact that uh, the individual themselves might be not insurable. So um, there is so much value to a competent financial planner um, like yourself that um, it, it just would pay for itself multiple times over the course of a, a long-term relationship for sure. 
So, so what about real estate? I mean, you know, the, the markets are going up and down and, and there's a lot of, you know, whether it's rational or not, nobody, including me, likes looking at a portfolio and say, wow, it, it was here. Now it's way lower. That's scary. Even though, you know, my retirement money is, it's going to sit there for another 20 years. But um, so a lot of people say, well, I'll just buy real estate. You know, real estate, I don't know the value of it on a daily basis because it's not a stock market ticker. Um, yeah, talk to me about some tax traps for real estate investors and how that can get you into trouble. Yeah, I love, I, I get real estate investors all the time. And, and it's so funny because they think they have the tax game down. And um, it's, it's, uh, um, it's, it's funny. I, I, I try not to chuckle at that because, you know, they don't understand what's coming in this, this decade. Before I talk about the tax of real estate and the tax trap that a lot of real estate investors don't understand what's coming, I, I will put that aside for one second. I just want to say to all the real estate investors, that have said, oh, real estate is the only thing. I write in my book, I love real estate. Real estate over the history of America has been the best inflation hedge we've had with the true asset that has intrinsic that has no intrinsic value if, this, if the company's bankrupt. So there's true value that you can touch. It's tangible. But that being said, I will say that if you look at real estate in these last two corrections, so specifically the Great Recession and now coronavirus, real estate has been severely adversely affected in both of those. Um, now, the Great Recession was a real estate-centric crash. I mean, that was subprime lending that basically boosted two, three, four, five sales, you know, potentially per American. Not, not everybody had those, I'm saying, but we had Americans that had multiple houses that were supporting equal properties. And then obviously the rates started to, you know, change. People couldn't afford mortgage payments. They literally walked away and the entire, you know, scheme that had been going for five years of super liquidity for subprime mortgage lending collapsed. And you had the credit default swaps. You had all that collapse and that was huge. Myself with the Great Recession. Well, this was really caused by real estate and how they were financing it and, and securitizing it on Wall Street, and that will never happen again. We've got you know um, more tight banking regulations that will never happen again. And that's true; it's not going to happen again. But what did happen is a one hundred, uh, you know, once in a one hundred year global pandemic that for the first time ever actually shut down businesses. So commercial leases, people weren't paying because their businesses weren't open for, to generate revenue to make them make their payments. And then, of course, people, 42 million people went on unemployment, which means they're probably not paying their lease payment. And so you've got residential and commercial real estate, both adversely affected through coronavirus. And it just is a reminder. And again, this is from a perspective of someone who really does like real estate. But this is a reminder that real estate cannot be your everything. And that there's a lot of unfortunate real estate investors that have everything in real estate because they think it's so good that you should not do anything else. And I just have to disagree with that. There's always, a, you should always bifurcate your portfolio into at least two strategies. Now, as far as the taxes go on real estate, I will very quickly tell you two things that real estate investors are not prepared for. The very first one uh, came from none other than Mike Bloomberg when he was running for president as a Democrat. He proposed the elimination of the 1031 real estate exchange. So basically, if people don't know what that is, you depreciate down your 
piece of real estate, you use depreciation, which is a non-cash deduction that offsets your actual cash income so that you can shield income while you own that property. And then when you get the basis to zero, you sell the property, you have a 100% capital gain because your basis is now zero, fully depreciated, but you do not pay the capital gain because you roll that gain over into another piece of real estate through the 1031 exchange usage of the tax code. Mike Bloomberg proposed the elimination of 1031s. From a real estate developer, that was very shocking. Now, obviously, that's not gotten any traction, but I will tell you that that is something that real estate de developers, investors should prepare for. There will be a time very soon, less than 15 years, where people that own real estate as an asset class are going to be attacked because we have to raise tax revenue everywhere and every last nook and cranny in the tax code, taxes will be raised. So the 1031 is a suspect area. The, the other thing that is very centric to real estate is what we call a 1015 step up at death. So in other words, you fully depreciated all of these assets or you have this rolled over gain that you've never paid the tax on. You can see that the IRS is going to get rid of this because it's, it's too good to be true. And then you die. And when you die, you get a step up to fair market value so that your assets or your real estate holdings pass to your heirs with uh, now 100% of the basis restored. So this is the real estate and gain. You fully depreciate, you roll it over, you depreciate, roll it over, and then at death, you step it all up to fair market value and you never pay the tax on anything. It's so good, it's too good, and that will be attacked in this decade. I, I don't see that even you know 12 years from now as having anywhere near that kind of scheme on the real estate side. Gotcha. No, and and any anything that's too good to be true like that, obviously, you know, the math just doesn't work. So, so do you have a solution, or are you just kind of bringing this to attention to real estate investors to be ready and prepared, and and or not necessarily keep all your, all of your eggs in that real estate basket? That's exactly the point, David. I mean, I obviously can't fix the tax code for somebody who has everything in the real estate basket thinking that's the scheme they're going to run their whole life and it's all going to work out fine. And then in this decade, it doesn't because all of that goes away to some extent, to some income phased out level. Um, I don't have a solution for them. They, they should not have built everything inside of real estate and this is why. Well, and one of the really simple concepts that I talk about with all of my clients is buckets of money. And, you know, even from a you know, just diversification, there are different types of assets. There are different tax uh, classification of assets. And um, no one of them is, is, is right for everything. I mean, there's even, uh, you know, we all need an emergency fund of just cash, you know, and, and that's just the way it is. So um, I think that the buckets of money concept just for everybody, no matter how, how sophisticated and high net worth you are, we still need different buckets. And yes, a real estate bucket is a good bucket. It just can't be all of uh, all of your buckets. So, well, great. Well, this yeah. has just been fascinating for me. Um, crashes and taxes. Tell me a little bit about your podcast, and um, and also tell uh, you know uh, Walser Wealth. Tell us a little bit about your your firm and and where where our listeners can uh, can find you. So um, my practice is headquartered in Tampa, but we work with clients um, all over the country. Um, and so, yeah, Walser Wealth and Walser is uh, W-A-L-S as in Sally E-R. WalserWealth.com is our website. Crashes and Taxes is our podcast. And it's just a message uh, longer, but it's just a message on where 
the market is, what's going on with taxes, what's going on in the world. And, you know, sometimes because I am an attorney, we'll bring in some more um, kind of topics on how is the government starting to show us that they're taking over more and more and more of our life um, Wait, that so we need to be protective of. taking over our lives? I didn't realize that. <laughs> Well, we look at it from their tax perspective is how, what laws are changing because I'm telling you, everything's changing this decade. So we're going to keep a close eye on what laws are changing so that we can see as we go and we dissect what's happening that, yeah, we're losing more and more and more capabilities of sheltering, legally sheltering money and really preparing for the, the future taxes that are coming, which are really ugly, really, really ugly. That is true. They're coming. They yeah. are coming. So, uh, Rebecca, I enjoyed uh, having you on this uh, on this podcast, and it would be awesome, especially from a tax perspective. You know, maybe once or twice a year, just to get uh, get your perspective on some things. I think a lot of uh, you know, just the layperson out there, they just don't know, and uh, that's where they need people like you and people like me, because a lot of us are we're just out there living our lives, we're doing the best we can, and we're getting tidbits of knowledge from from, you know, maybe you're a rich uncle that thinks they know everything and, you know, <laughs> different media channels have different biases and everything else. And, um, you know, the interesting thing is um, if you get paid like most financial advisors, you don't get paid more or less if they invest in a Roth or not in a Roth. So you're just out there just doing the right thing. You don't have a financial interest if they invest uh, pre-tax or, or post-tax. So you're just doing the right thing, which I love, uh, I love hearing. So. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate that. Good deal. Awesome. Well, until next time, uh, we are going to call it an episode and uh, this was fascinating. We'll see you again. Thank you. Thanks. So don't forget to check out Rebecca's podcast, Crashes and Taxes. It's always great to have a like-minded financial advisor on the show with me and uh, we wish you a blessed week. The information contained herein, including but not limited to research, market valuations, calculations, estimates, and other material obtained from Parallel Financial and other sources are believed to be reliable. However, Parallel Financial does not warrant its accuracy or completedness. The materials are provided for informational purposes only. It should not be used or construed as an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security. Past performance is not indicative of future results.